it is the prep take two it is the preparation for the battle that is the most important today we're going to talk about the rules of the battle and if I had a subtitle of this message it would be making you a spiritual warrior how to be a spiritual warrior there are rules in life there are rules you have to follow now sometimes it's okay to break these rules as I mentioned at the beginning of the service I was single dad this week and I had these two little ones a three-year-old and a two-year-old girl to take care of and one of the things I did I bribed them I kept telling them listen if you're good if you're good I'll take you to McDonald's Playland I'll take you to McDonald's Playland and they actually were pretty good and they did what they were supposed to so Wednesday night the day before Thanksgiving around 8 o'clock I loaded them up in the car and went to the Ortonville just down the road uh, McDonald's Playland interesting thing about McDonald's on Wednesday night no one's there. Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, no one is there. And so we ordered our food. The ladies were very kind and very helpful to me. They saw that I was this guy out of his element. And we went back there to the playland, and they started to play, and they did their whole thing after they ate and everything. And after having to take them to the bathroom, which I specifically asked them before we left, who has to go to the bathroom? But anyways, <clears throat> little Carly, who's a little more a bit of a daredevil, went all the way up to like the third level and everything, but she got stuck there. And she didn't want to come down. She's a very bit of a daredevil, but she's also one of the most stubborn little kids I've ever met in my life. And I kept saying, come down, come down. Mm-mm, not coming. Mm-mm. You know, it's an interesting thing that I heard this on the news, that the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving is considered the biggest party night in America. Even more than New Year's because of all the college kids that come home. Biggest party night in America. That thought was going through my mind as I began crawling up the McDonald's Playland in Ortonville. And I thought, you know, at 22, you're out doing stuff, probably shouldn't be doing, but you're partying. Isn't it interesting at 47 on the night before Thanksgiving, you're in a McDonald's Playland thinking that you're going to get stuck. And as I'm crawling up through there, I remember there was a sign that said, you know, age appropriate. And I think it was like 12 and under. And is that just how God likes to work things out? I got just about almost up to Carly. I'm on the second level twisting and turning my body that is not meant to do this. And the lady that works at McDonald's came in. She came in, and I'm facing right her as she came in. She came in, looked at me, looked at the sign, looked at me, and I just was like, I'm not supposed to be here, am I? And she just laughed and laughed and said, don't worry about it. I won't tell if you don't. So I guess I'm breaking the rule right now. But there are certain rules, but you know what? There are certain times that you have to break those rules. May I say this to you? There is never a time to break God's spiritual rules. In fact, you will find yourself in embarrassing situations like being stuck on a Wednesday night before Thanksgiving at the McDonald's Playland in Ortonville, Michigan. You will find yourself stuck sometimes in embarrassing situations all because you broke God's spiritual rules. If you're taking notes today, our thought for the battle is this. Spiritual battles have spiritual rules. This is why you're losing the spiritual battle. Because you're not fighting, you're not following with God's rules. Listen, if you want to be a spiritual warrior, this is the secret. This is the secret. Everything that some preacher tells you on TV, you have to pray a certain way, you have to pray out loud, you have to pray in Yeshua's name, you have to pray by faith, you have to do this. You have to send me money. Everybody who tells that's nonsense. 
The key to being a spiritual warrior is to understand this. You are not in a physical fight, but you are in a spiritual fight. And if you want to be God's spiritual warrior, you need to follow God's spiritual rules. Amen? So what are the rules? Well, taking David's encounter with the giant Goliath in background, I want to give you four spiritual rules. You have to follow. Make sure that you're before you engage in the battle. Number one, if you're taking notes on the back of your newsletter, see how I slipped that in. Number one, be sure your orders come from above. Look at verse 17, 1 Samuel 17, 17. And Jesse said unto David, his son, just stop there for a moment before we even go any further. Repeatedly, one of the characteristics of David, one of the characteristics of David is that he submits to authority. You will find that repeatedly. When he is underneath the authority of King Saul, by the way, a bad authority. A bad, you know, I tell this to young people, and a lot of them just go right over their head. And I tell them, listen, if you want to know whether or not you should get married, ask your parents. If one of your parents says no, don't get married. And the reply usually, well, my dad doesn't really love me. My dad isn't this way or anything. I said, you know what? If that's the situation, why don't you stay single with this person and live like a single person's supposed to and show this man after a few years how dedicated you two are. Because if you're really in love, you can wait a couple years before you get married. You know what that's called? That's called submitting to authority. You see, David is under Saul's authority. You know what he does? He follows Saul, who's a bad authority. When David is at home, whose authority is he under? He's under his father, Jesse. Because who tells David to go to the battle? His authority, his father. God has placed authority on this earth. If you choose not to follow some of those authorities, you know, listen, you're old enough. Some of you have enough gray hair, right? I'm with you. But you're old enough to realize if you don't follow the authority on this world, you're going to end up in front of an authority. We had an event that took place this week, and I struggled to keep my testimony and struggled not to lose my temper. But about six, seven months ago, remember that windstorm we had that took out the power and everything? We had two trees that blew over in the back of the property. And so we paid somebody a good amount of money to go through and cut up all these trees and stuff. And so I said, just stack them. It's on the other side of the berm and everything. I said, just just leave them there. You can't see it. Well, I pulled up here after dropping off the shoeboxes. I pulled up here, and I see a lady on the back of our berm. She drove her car all the way up there. I'm like, I know what she's doing. I walked over, and I find a lady and her teenage son stealing our firewood. And I said, ma'am, what are you doing? She said, well, my neighbor said this was free wood. And I said, well, your neighbor is wrong. Would you please put it back? We stacked it. Do you think that Mother Nature cut it in perfectly 18-inch sections and stacked it up there? And I said, would you please tell your neighbor he's stealing from a church? And she said, well, I'm I'm not going to judge. I said, well, listen, tell him this. If he comes back and does it again, I will find someone to judge him. Listen, if you don't follow the rules of this world, you will end up in front of someone who's in a figure like the same goes true with God. He has placed authority figures in your life. You get it. Those of you, listen, I'm speaking to your 930, so most of you get this. The number one human authority for a child is a parent. Amen? Uh, One of the things we're probably, and I don't say we are, but we're probably really considering adopting our little ones, and and they're possibly can come up and stuff, so we're really considering adopting it. And this week, dealing with my two little ones, I kept telling them this uh, because 
as foster parents, we follow the rules. You're not allowed to do corporal punishment. But as a biological parent, I believe in corporal punishment, right? The best way children are like a canoe. They're best steered with a paddle in the rear, right? Um, <clears throat> I kept telling them, couple months, going to be some spankings. couple months, dad's going to come down on you. A couple months. And they're like, well, whatever, dad doesn't care. Dad's cool. No, dad really ain't that cool. Ask the other kids. You get that, right? That children, they have an authority in the parents. Why is it that it's so hard for me to explain that to you as an adult? That you also have authorities in your life. You know, there's spiritual authority God has placed in your life, your church, your Sunday school teacher, your pastor. He puts people in your life to help you. Before you do anything, maybe... Maybe you should check with the authority God has put in your life to give you some advice. What does David, a man after God's own heart, do? He listens to his authority, Jesse, in his life. When your orders come from above, I'll give you three things from David's life. When your orders come from above, watch David's example. Number one, you will, you will bring care to others. Look at verse 17. Take now thy brethren, an ephod of this partial corn, and ten loaves, and run to the camp of thy brethren, and carry these ten cheese up to the captain of the thousand. Jesus said this about taking care of other people in Matthew 23. First of all, that you're supposed to love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul, if you, and all your mind. If you do that, say amen. He said that's the first commandment, but he said the second commandment is that you will love your neighbor as yourself. The idea that Jesus had is this. If you truly are in love with God, there will be a byproduct, and the byproduct will be that you will love other people. May I suggest to you that that person in your life that you're having a very tough time loving and caring about, it could be a husband, it could be what, it could be an ex-mother-in-law. I mean, it doesn't matter. That person you really have, Pastor, I don't really love this person. My neighbor, okay, maybe the issue is not that you don't love them. Maybe the issue is that there's a part of your heart, a part of your life that God does not control. If you love God, the byproduct will be Loving everyone, even if they criticize your, your casserole you bring to Thanksgiving. <clears throat> Some of you laughed because it happened, didn't it? She said it again, didn't she? Number two, you'll bring relief to others. Back at verse 18. And look how thy brethren fare. David, your first responsibility is bringing food. But really, you're really there to encourage other people. Listen, your first responsibility in coming to church is to worship God. Amen? You understand, we flip it. We kind of have this idea that we're here to watch God or watch the preacher perform the music. That's not it. I wish you would understand that when you come to church, you're really here, and it is God who is watching you. Your first responsibility is to worship God, but also when you come, you encourage other people. Number three, you will connect others to others. Look at verse 8. And take their pledge. The word pledge literally means letter or news. Jesse wants to hear from his boys. He says, David, encourage them with this food, but you know what? Find out because their father wants to know how they're doing. These are the rules for decisions in your life. If you're here and you're about to make a major life decision, if you're trying to get the right answer of what I'm supposed to do, should I marry, should I do this, should we move to Florida, should we take another job, may I suggest these are the three decisions that you need to rethink. Is the decision you're going to do, is it going to bring care to other people? Or is it just a selfish decision that it's like, a, it's like napalm on your family? 
Will it bring relief to other people, or are you about to bring a burden on somebody? Will you connect other people to other people, or the decision you're going to make, is it going to drive a wedge between you and family members? Is it going to drive an unnecessary wedge? There are times you have to walk away from people and distance yourself from painful, hurtful people. But the decision you're about to make, sir, will it connect with other people? These are the decisions you make when your orders come from above. Number two, the rules engaging the battle. Be sure your responsibility is secure. Look at verse 20. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. What is David's job before he moved on to another job? Well, his job is shepherd, right? Well, Pastor Steve, that's not a really big, important job. It's just sheep. Well, it's not an important job unless you're a sheep, right? I want to hit two points with this. Make sure before you leave a job that it's done. Make sure you have a replacement. You're in church. I'm just going to be flat out. Before you leave the job that you've been doing, make sure you have your replacement. Well, I'm, I'm mad at the preacher. Well, there's a pretty good chance he's mad at you, too. Well, I don't like my Sunday school teacher. i got news for you. He might not like you either. But before you leave a position, make sure that you have taken care of and your responsibilities are secure. Secondly, this is me. There, that ought to do it. All right. Got this Japanese equipment. Should have bought American. My wife had rented her a car to go to Texas to make sure she was okay. And I had to, they knew my email address. My email address is Rev S. Sheridan, right? So you know what I am, right? I wish I had not done that. Because in situations like this, we rented the car. It's supposed to be a Jeep. It's supposed to be a Jeep, Keith. Jeep Liberty. Pulled up, and it's a stupid Honda garbage. I told the man, I said, I don't want that. My, my, my wife driving that. I said, uh, we don't drive foreign cars in my home. And he was like, well, there's nothing you can do about it. And I said, yeah, there is something I could do about it. I could burn it. I got the insurance. But anyways, <clears throat> I don't like foreign cars, okay? If you love Jesus, you drive a, a Ford, a GM, or a Chrysler. Pick one of those. Anyways, amen? All right, there you go. All right, I'm venting here. Drive American. If you, don't, if you get hungry, eat your import. But anyways, um. I told the guy, and Sandra was like, well, what's the big deal? I said, well, that's fine. You can drive it back, but you're not parking it in my driveway. But anyways, I said, the American automobile industry put me through college and paid for all my food growing up and took care of me, and I'm going to support it. But anyways, sir, back to this, responsibilities. This is why I don't need a therapist. I get to vent to you people. Sir, husband, you have a responsibility. Before your responsibility is to provide a big house or to provide a whole bunch of fancy things or anything like that, your number one responsibility for your family, for your family, is to love your wife like Jesus loves the church. No matter what you have to do, no matter what you have to go through, pastor, you don't understand what she did. You don't understand how she acts. You don't understand. I understand that. But she probably acted that way and you married her anyways. Sir. Your responsibility is very simple. I, I'm, come on, I'm trying to help you. Love your bride like Jesus loves the church. Take care of the responsibilities God gave you. Number three, the rules before engaging the battle. 
Be sure your motives are right. Oh, this is good. At 11 o'clock, I'm going to talk to some of these teenage girls. When I was a student pastor, I was, I, I was very blunt with my kids. I was very clear. I said, you do not date unsaved people because you're not supposed to marry an unsaved person. You're going to, unless they pass my law where your parents get to pick your husband or spouse, you're going to marry who you date. And so every time that would happen, I'd get some young girl and she'd bring a guy in and be like, oh, he wants to talk to you, Brother Steve. I'm like, I know what this is. They wanted him to get saved so that they could get married. And this guy would say, I'm supposed to want to get saved. I mean, he had this whole thing repeated. I'm like, oh, my Lord. Make sure your motives for what you're doing are right. Look at this. David arrives to the battle in verse 21 and 23. And for the very first time, he sees Goliath. Look at the end of verse 23. Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. We're going to see two completely different worldviews. This is amazing. You're going to find yourself in one of these two camps. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are one of these two people. We're going to see Saul's worldview. Saul is a man after the flesh. He is a man of the flesh. He is a man consumed by carnal things. And we're going to see David's worldview. We're going to see what motivates David. David is a spiritual man. The Bible says that he is a man after God's own heart. There are two completely different worldviews and what motivates them. And you will find yourself in one or two of these categories. What is what motivates Saul? Look at verse 25. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Did you see how big this dude is? Surely to defile Israel he came up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will. This is what Saul promised. This is what's important to Saul. Will enrich him with great riches, secondly, and will give him his daughter. Now we find out later who this daughter is. She's not much of a prize. And make his father's house free in Israel, meaning they will be tax free. There are two things that come out of Saul's mind, what he thinks are important. What motivates a man of the flesh, what motivates Saul are two things, money and women. And when I say women, I'm talking about physical intimacy. That's what Saul thinks is important in this world. Aren't those the two things that you could almost mark down what most people in this world think about? He saw those videos and people on Black Friday. And if you want to go out shopping on Black Friday, fine. There's word for you, idiot. But no, feel free to do that. That's fine. But you see these videos of people fighting over plastic things. Oh, they marked it down $10. Who cares? Is it really worth a punch in the nose? And they're fighting over some of the stupidest and silliest things. Listen, if these two things, physical intimacy, you know what I'm saying. I'm trying to be polite and cultured, right? Sex, that's what I'm saying. If that and money make you happy, then why are so many of these people in Hollywood on drugs? Why are some of these wealthy people? Oh, we're seeing this come out in the news, isn't it? With all these, how much depraved people are there in the world? I mean, I would have thought there's a handful of people who does it. At the end, I turned to my wife and said, I mean, is it just everybody in the news, everybody in Hollywood? Is it every politician who's just a scumbag? And she said, yeah, yeah, pretty much. These are the two things you will find. Dr. Freud would say, oh, yes, these are what motivates people. Doctor, another doctor, Dr. Adrian Rogers, said this. I just, I have been hanging on to this quote for like six months, and I, I, I don't know if this fits or not, but it's just an amazing quote. Dr. Adrian Rogers said this, drugs are a synthetic form of salvation. 
Isn't that good? Write that down. Drugs are a synthetic form, meaning inside everybody, there's this God-shaped hole, right? There's a piece that is missing in your heart, and everybody tries to fill it with something. Money, physical intimacy, and when that doesn't work, a lot of people fall back on the old standard of drugs and alcohol and trying to fill it with something. I'd like to say to you today, the only thing that you could ever fill it is Jesus Christ. Let me be very clear. Uh, I am purposely, we were talking about decorating, I purposely said, no, I will not preach in this building without the cross being here because I need to point people to it. The only way you're ever going to go to heaven is by accepting what Jesus Christ did on that old rugged cross for you. He died in your place. He was a substitute. You owe a debt. You don't owe it to Satan. You owe it to God because of his righteousness. You were born a sinner. You don't sin because you're, a, you don't become a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. You were born in sin. But God loved you so much he sent Jesus to die on a cruel Roman cross. That is the God-shaped hole that is missing in your life. And you can try, you can try physical intimacy. You can try money. You can try everything. But you will never fill it without Jesus. If you're here today, you need to accept Christ as your personal Savior. Nothing else matters. You don't have to be a Baptist to go to heaven. Some of you have been around here long enough. You know what I'm going to say. But if you're going to go somewhere, go. First class, baby. That's right. <clears throat> now let's look at David. Look at verse 26. This is a spiritual man. This is a spiritual warrior. Look at the difference. And David spake unto these men that stood by him, saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? Taketh away the reproach from Israel. Oh, take away the reproach from Israel, number one. For who is the uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? There are two things that motivated David. Number one, his country. And I'd like for us to also suggest his home. And number two, his God. See, there's in your here, you're either being motivated by one or two things. If you're here... And what's motivating is your home and the motivating your God. You are a man of spiritual content. You are a man, you are a spiritual warrior following God. But if you're here and you're motivated by money, if you're motivated by physical intimacy, if you're motivated by drugs, you are a man after the flesh. I have a lot of great respect for the people who served in the military. But I don't mean to offend anyone, but I really like the Marines. I wanted to be a Marine. What kept me from being a Marine? Just strength, speed, agility, strength. Um, it was funny. When I was a student pastor, we did this whole uh, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines thing. And uh, so I went to a recruiting thing to get all this. You know, We divided our class. We had about 70, 80 kids. We divided them all up into different groups and did a whole battle contest. So I went to the Marine recruiter to get some stuff. I walked in. You know, I'm like 30 years, 34 years old at the time or something and not in great shape. I walk in, and the guy goes, uh, the Army's next door. And I was like, man... Wow. But anyways, I love the Marines. One of the things I love about the Marines is this. They have a motto. The Marines' motto is God, country, core, which means keep your priorities straight. Listen, Christian, here's your motto. God, home, church. You know, they say, Pastor, wait, somebody's going to use that so as an opportunity not to serve in church. Yeah, I guess you could. You could say, well, I'm taking care of my home, so that means I can't uh, uh, help out in church. I can't serve. I can't volunteer. I can't do anything. But here's the truth. If you'll use your home as an excuse, you'll just find something else as an excuse not to serve God. 
We also be very careful if you use your home as an excuse to serve God. God has a way, if you're a believer, taking away the things that are excuses for you to serve him. Be very careful if you use this. Listen, today, if your number one priority in your life is your home, you're wrong. Your priorities are wrong. If your number one priority is money, you are also equally wrong. You can insert whatever you want as your number one priority, your job, your team, your, your, your hunting, golfing, everything, growing a beard. You're weird if you do, but... If your number one priority, sir, is anything other than God, your priorities are messed up. The Marines also have another saying, and it's the Semper Fi. The Marine Corps adopted Semper Fi as an official motto in 1883. Semper Fi is also the title of the official musical march of the Marine Corps. Translated into Latin, Semper Fi simply means always faithful. Christian, if they could say one thing about you, let it be say. He was faithful. He was faithful. I've told my son, there's one thing you have to do at my funeral. I said, you have to do this. I don't care when it is. I don't care if you don't like to talk. You have to do this. At some point, you have to get up and say, my dad loved Jesus, my mom, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Just not always in that order. But what I want him to do is get up and basically say, my dad was faithful to my mom. And he was faithful to his God. Semper Fi, sir. If they're going to say one thing about you at the end of your life, let them get up and say, he was faithful to what really mattered. Number four, be sure you know the cause. Look at verse 27. And the people answered him after this manner, saying, so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Elab his oldest brother, heard when he spake unto the man. And Elab's anger was kindled against David. Well, that seems odd, right? But think about it. Elab should have been, he's the oldest. Remember just a few weeks ago or months ago or years ago, a chapter back, as we saw that Samuel comes and he anoints, not the oldest, but he anoints the youngest. Listen to the anger that has been building up in Elab. He is not angry that David is there. He is not angry about what David has said. He is angry because David got the position of being the next king, and he didn't. And what does he do? And he said, why comest thou down, Hedder? And why hast thou left those? And underline this word, people say things what they really mean. If you listen to people, they will actually tell you what they're saying. What does he say? Thou hast left thy few sheep. He's trying to dig at him in the wilderness. I know thy pride. Thy naughtiness of heart. Isn't it amazing what people will accuse you of is what they'll do themselves? For thou art come down, thou art mighty, mightiest, might see the battle. Look at what he questions. He questions first his calling. Why comest thou down here? Then he questions his ability, the few sheep in the wilderness. Then he even questions David's character. I know thy pride. If you're going to take a stand for Jesus, be ready to make some enemies. In fact, I'll suggest this. If you don't have people who don't like you because of your faith in Jesus, you may not be doing something right. Anytime you stand up... Now listen, if, you're, if they don't like you because that's all you can talk about is Jesus and that's all you can do and you're constantly trying to win them to Christ, maybe sometimes you need to back up a little, Skippy, right? 
Because I like to talk about other things than just Jesus too. There's other things going on in the world. But listen, if your faith and who you are and what you believe and what makes you and what drives you, and if that's Jesus, and if people are offended by that, so be it. If you're going to serve God, if you're going to do something, if you're going to be a spiritual warrior for God, you will make some enemies. But make sure you're making enemies because you're serving Jesus and not just because of how you serve Jesus is so offensive to people. You might even lose some family members. Look at David's response. This is a leader's response. You know what I've learned? Leaders, when questions, don't defend themselves. They don't. You're going to believe what you want to believe. If you think that, you're going to think that. You'll find this as a leader. People are going to believe what they want to believe and everything else. But I also notice that David does what Jesus does. Jesus will often come back at people with questions. And David comes back with this is really a question. It's a rhetorical question in verse 29. And David said, what have I done? <laughs> what did I do to you, man? I just showed up here trying to ask questions. And he says this last phrase, and it's one of the greatest phrases in the Bible. Is there not a cause? It is a rhetorical question. For those of you that don't know what that means, if you're like me and had to look it up, rhetorical question means it's a question that does not have an answer. Because the obvious answer to, is there not a cause, the obvious answer is this. Yes, there is a cause. May I suggest to you our cause is this? Three things, if you're taking notes. Our cause is to love God. You're supposed to love others as yourself, but first and foremost, you'll love God. Sir, your marriage would change if you fell in love with Jesus. If you started to serve God, you would find yourself able to love anyone. Secondly, go into all the world. That's the point of our missions this month. That's the point of why we do what we do in the last few weeks and having these missionaries Skype in to us because we want to put a burden on your heart to go into all the world. And I would like to challenge maybe some of you when we do a mission trip again. Why don't you go with us, go into all the world? You say, well, Pastor, I'm getting old. I'm doing it. Listen, I'm going to be blunt, okay? Please forgive me if I have to. You're going to die somewhere. I don't know if you know this or not. Unless Jesus come back, you're going to die somewhere. Why not die serving Jesus? Why not die doing something for God? Amen? That's one of my biggest fears. Can I be honest with you? One of my biggest fears is I die doing something stupid. I don't want to be standing in line in heaven and everybody's like, well, how did you die? Well, I died as a martyr for my faith and I was in Africa serving Jesus and they fed me to lions and everything. How did you die? I accidentally drank bleach. I don't know. It was there and I drank it. I don't know. One of my biggest fears is dying in a stupid way, dying and not doing something for Jesus. If I die doing something great for God, amen. Number three, serve God. You understand? Let me light these up. Light these up. Go to the next one. The Marines have God, country, core, right? These are ours. Love. Go. Serve. Man, Pastor Steve, I want to change my marriage. I want to change my life. I want to be a spiritual warrior. That's it. Love people. You don't have to change your convictions. You don't have to change what's right. Love people. Go. Go into all the world. Go to Africa. If you can't go, send your money. Go across the street, your neighbor. Go, go, go. Find somebody there. We have a, we got shut-ins who could use a visit. We've got people that could use you. Go to somewhere. Do something. Serve God. 
anywhere, any place, God, I would challenge you today, as you leave today, to walk out and say, I want to be a spiritual warrior. And I will love whoever you want me to love, God. I will go wherever you want me to go, Lord. And I will serve wherever. I will do whatever. Because my life is all about Jesus. And I am a spiritual warrior. I may be a pawn in this war. I may be a meaningless thing. They may never write articles about me. They may never sing songs about me. Nobody ever may tell my story. But I am an army. I am in the army of the Lord. And I am part of the spiritual battle. And I will do and be and say whatever God wants me to do. There is a bridge in China. Throw this up there. Some of our American jobs probably went there to pay for it, but anyways. There's a bridge in China, and it's the Nan, Nan, Nanjing Yangtze River Bridge. That's as good as I do with Chinese words. Interesting thing about this bridge is built in 1968. It's a double-decker. It's supposed to be sort of a symbolism to communism and their power. But it's also... In China, the number one suicide spot in China. There's estimate that since it's been built, somewhere close to 3,000 people have killed themselves on this bridge. That's a great commentary about the emptiness of the communism and everything. But a man heard this in China, not a believer, not that I know of, but a man heard this in China. And he's called the angel of Nanjing. His name is Si Chin, Mr. Chin. And you know what he does? Since about 1998 or so, he's just kind of made it his mission to every day. He has this little moped. It's a really ridiculously poor moped. But every day he takes his moped and he'll drive the length of that. It's a long bridge. It's a couple miles. And he drives that bridge and he looks for people that are going to kill themselves. He does a lot of things. He'll do stuff like that. He'll grab onto people. And he'll try to talk them out of it. He will try to shame some of them out of it. Talk about the shame that they're bringing on their family by doing this and going through all these different things. But he simply made it his mission to try to stop people from taking their own life on the number one bridge that people kill themselves in China. Man. I saw that and I thought, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Yeah, I hope if you're here and you're having those thoughts of leaving this planet and taking your own life, please call somebody. Please call us. Call one of our deacons. Call myself. Anybody. Anytime. Any place. But you know what? There's a lot of young people throwing their lives over drugs, alcohol, heroin. Is just wow. What's taking place in our country with heroin this last few years? But you know, there's materialism. There's that physical intimacy we talked about. And what most of them find out after going down that rabbit hole, they find out real quickly that there's something still missing. See, we need to tell people that are throwing their lives away about Jesus. We need to warn people that are throwing their eternity away. We need to warn them there's a hell to shun, but there's a heaven to gain. And that Jesus died for them. We need to minister to senior citizens who can't make it to church anymore. Young people who are confused. People who have different hair, different skin, different ideas, different different thoughts of what morality is supposed to look like. I really don't care about any of this. I want to help them. I want to point them to Jesus. If this man can do something as simple as that, 
Why can't we who know the God of the universe, who sent his son, who have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit, why can't we get that same burden for the people around us? Go, love, serve, semper fi. With every head bowed and every eye closed. You're here today and you know.